Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Welcome back to another episode of The Feminine Genius. I'm really excited to share this conversation that I had with a wonderful woman back in September. I had the opportunity to sit down with Sister Antoniana Maria, who is the local superior of the Sisters of Life in their Toronto mission. The Sisters of Life are a community of women religious who profess the three traditional vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience as well as a fourth vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life. And in our conversation today, I talked to Sister Antoniana Maria about her own vocation journey, what her mission as a Sister of Life is like, and how God brought together all of her desires into one beautiful call. Listeners, I am very privileged to be in this beautiful space known as the John Paul II Room. And I'm here with Sister Antoniana Maria, who is the local superior here in Toronto for the Sisters of Life. And Sister Antoniana, I wanted to thank you for just sharing some of your time with me today and with the podcast. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I wanted to start by just asking if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Sisters of Life. Well, as you said, my name is Sister Antoniana Maria. I'm actually Canadian, born and raised in Canada, born in Winnipeg, grew Mm -hmm. up in Vancouver, and I entered the convent 17 years ago in the Bronx in New York. So I lived in in New York for a good, say, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Two of those years, I lived here in Toronto, actually, back in 2007, but that's getting ahead of myself. (laughs) So how did I get in touch with the Sisters of Life? Back in... In the year 2000, I went to World Youth Day in Rome. And at the time, I didn't know there were religious women Mm -hmm. that, or I didn't realize that young women were still entering convents. I just thought that was a thing of the past. So religious life wasn't even on the radar screen for me. But when I went to World Youth Day, I had this powerful experience of an encounter with love. The love who is, capital L, love, who is Jesus in Mm -hmm. in the Eucharist. And... All of a sudden, I had this experience of, oh my gosh, I think God is asking me to give up everything and follow him, mm-hmm. to be his. And so I contacted the vocations director for the Archdiocese of Vancouver, and he led me to the Sisters of Life because he knew that I had a passion for the sacredness of life. So that was my first touch point with the sisters. And so that was, yeah, way back in 2000. And then 2001, our Superior General, Mother Agnes, Mm -hmm. she came to Vancouver and gave a talk at a Focus on Life dinner. Mm -hmm. And just, I was floored Mm -hmm. by the beauty of the message, the beauty of her person, the love that exuded. I was in a room of almost a thousand people. And when I spoke with her, it was as if I was the only person in the room. The reverence and the focus and the intention with which she spoke to me, I was captivated. I was like, wow, like 
I would love to be like that one day, like to actually have this reverence for the person who's standing before me. Mm. Um, we all know the experience of when you're talking to somebody and they're like looking over our shoulder to the next person behind. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case with her. And I'm like, wow, that's how it is with her. I wonder what the community is like. So that's how I, I first experienced the sisters. Mm-hmm. And you're mentioning that you had the, the vocation instructor at the Archdiocese of Vancouver, I knew that you had this reverence for the sanctity of life. And I was wondering where that started for you. Like, how did you come to just hold such conviction for the pro-life movement Mm -hmm. and just to protect life from conception to its natural end? Yeah, it definitely started when I was little. And I'll never forget when I was in elementary school. I was uh, going to St. Edmund's Elementary School in North Vancouver. At the time, the pastor encouraged everyone to do the life chain. So my Mm -hmm. parents and my family and I, we stood with these signs. And I was 10 years old. And I was like, these signs that share about what's actually happening. And I'm like, Hmm. oh, my goodness. Wow, like little ones and women are being hurt. Or little ones are are not being given the chance to live because of circumstances. I'm like, wow, I, I really, it was like a fire in my heart. Like, I really want to do everything I can to support these women who feel like they have no other choice. And so I became very involved in the pro-life movement in elementary school and high school and in university. I went to UBC and I was part of a pro-life group called Lifeline. And so I was just very active in that. And then I remember coming here to Toronto, actually, and there's a group called the National Campus Life Network, NCLN. So way back in 1999, <laughs> I came out here and um, with a friend of mine, Stephanie Gray. Oh, and uh, no the way. two of us, yeah, <laughs> we came to St. Augustine Seminary, and we were listening to this speaker speak about pro-life, and we watched a little video, and literally right at that moment, I really felt the hand of God touch my heart mm. because I couldn't stop crying. And it was this experience of, you need to do something. It was a summons by God for my soul, to my soul, to my heart, that I couldn't just remain on the sidelines on this issue, Mm -hmm. that I had to devote not just a little bit of my life, but my entire life Mm -hmm. for the sanctity of the human person. Right. So that was back in 1999. No mention of religious life, not even a clue, (laughs) but that was like the little V vocation in my heart. And then a year later, 2000, I went to World Youth Day, like I said. And again, the hand of God touched my heart. He's like, will you love me with an undivided heart? Will you offer me your soul, your body, your very womb, and consecrate yourself to me? And I'm like, yes, I will. But what about this other call? You know, this mm-hmm. other call to lay down my life so that others may live. And then the Lord kind of fused those two calls wow. together with this charism, the charism mm-hmm. of life, which we take a special fourth vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of life. Mm-hmm. So. That's so beautiful. And I don't want to ignore either. You Very casually, you mentioned Stephanie Gray, who was the, the founder, if I'm not mistaken, of the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just like that that charism for life. And and I think this would be a good time, too, to talk about. I mean, it's, it's evident in the name Sisters of Life. But if you could share maybe with listeners who maybe aren't familiar or have never met a Sister of Life, um, what it is that you all do around the pro-life movement. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, as Sisters of Life, we believe that each human person is made in God's image and likeness. And, mm-hmm. and each of us has this incredible dignity that no one from 
from the beginning to the end of time will ever express the beauty and the the trace of God's glory that each human person has. And so, but oftentimes we forget that we hold this dignity. But what our experience is, is that when women and men experience themselves to be loved and to be cherished as unique and unrepeatable human beings, that we begin to dream again or we begin to experience our life as a gift. Mm-hmm. And so many times in, in our work for those who've suffered after abortion, mm-hmm. for those who are pregnant and vulnerable to abortion, um, or even just in our young adult retreats and our women's retreats, and, or giving talks on the sacredness of human life, which is um, all the different aspects of our apostolates. So many times when we see people and they reflect back God's glory and God's image, it's because they experience themselves to be loved. So our first work as Sisters of Life is our contemplative life. So we're actually contemplative active. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we spend half of our day in prayer. And so we um, pray the Liturgy of the Hours, Mass, Holy Hour, Meditation. And then from that prayer, which fuels everything, then we go forth to do these particular works on the sanctity of human life. It's, it's a privilege. It's really a, a great privilege to be able to serve the most vulnerable and, and to bring hope where oftentimes people have lost hope because of mm-hmm. the circumstances or because of past regrets or mistakes. Right. Yeah. And I've had the privilege of hearing many different Sisters of Life speak. Um, I was in World Youth Day myself earlier um, in Panama 2019, and I wasn't, no one warned me, but just casually, Sister Bethany Madonna came onto the stage to give an address. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm here right now and just hearing her speak. The most recent rise up in Calgary, we heard um, Sister Matsophilia speak and just to see the joy and the zeal that you all have for the sanctity of life. But also I recognize too that on a a regular basis, you must see and come in contact with some women who have faced some very difficult challenges. And I was just wondering if you could speak to maybe some of the the struggles that you've seen in your ministry. Yeah, Yeah. there really is an attack against the dignity of the human person Mm -hmm. and an an attack against life, against love, against the feminine heart. So just for example, we serve women who are pregnant and vulnerable to abortion Mm -hmm. and the deck is stacked against them in a sense to to not bring this child to life. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we've experienced is when they know themselves now, first, they experience themselves to be heard and listened to, and we call it emptying the bucket. So we just let them speak all their fears, mm-hmm. all their anxieties, um, and we receive them without making any judgment and allow them to express. And then we reflect back what we hear so that they know themselves to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then we delight in them. And that is the key. So it's like experiencing yourself to be received as a person and not and to be loved as a person and not a project to be worked on. Mm. There's a huge difference mm-hmm. when a woman who is in a crisis, she feels like she's a project and that you're like working on her. Mm-hmm. As opposed to what we as sisters of life do is it's like having a little tea party. Right. You know, it's like you have your cup of tea, I have my cup of tea, and we sit and we just in this inner state of leisure, I delight in her. I would say that's like that's key and that it does wonders to the heart of a woman who's in a crisis Mm -hmm. to actually experience herself to be delighted in Mm -hmm. Um, 
So for us as sisters, that's what we do when we pray before the Blessed Sacrament half of our day Mm -hmm. is to allow the Lord of life to form our hearts and conform our hearts to his so that when we sit before a woman who is in crisis or in distress, that something within us actually physically is moved. And we experience a delight in the woman that is before us so that she herself can experience herself to be loved. Right. And then when a woman knows she is loved, she can do anything. She'll be the greatest mother. She'll overcome any obstacle that's mm-hmm. faced before her. She'll protect her child like a mama bear. Like <laughs> So Absolutely. it is an amazing thing to witness that again and again and again. And it's not just a theory. Mm-hmm. It's actually an experience that we've witnessed and it's tried, tested, and true. It's like, wow, okay. And that's the resilience of the feminine heart. Right. Um, that we're, we're made and we long first to be known and to be loved and delighted in. Mm-hmm. And when we know that, then there's nothing that a woman who is loved can't do. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of like we were speaking about earlier just before we got started is like, that really is the crisis that I've, I've come to see in womanhood. And also it's like in my in my own heart too, just like this, a lot of times like social media or um, the media in general the, the discourse around what it means to be women, there really is a, an attack on that where it's like we need to, like we're burdens on society if we don't know what we're doing. And it can be hard if we don't feel like we're not seen or we're not heard. So to hear you speak about the way that the sisters are praying for your mission and in a special way praying for us as well, is so beautiful and it just it, it warms my heart to to know that there are people who are interceding for us even if we don't know it so mm-hmm. yeah in terms of discerning vocation and whatnot and like you were saying um it wasn't until you got to world youth day that you you know really saw that okay this is a an option and, and in fact it's a gift that god can bless me with um what advice do you have for women who may be afraid of discerning their vocation, perhaps giving it all to God in that way. And what that makes me think of is you were mentioning earlier that you had this desire to to really lay down your life for this pro-life mission. And God was able to take that interest and really turn it into something that's almost as like, you know, uniquely your own now that I'm hearing your story, um, just to see how he really gave you this, like an even greater gift than you can imagine and I speak for myself and I'm sure many women that like who haven't made it to that other side yet we can be like what is this gift and I was wondering if you had any just Mm -hmm. advice on that yeah yeah first and foremost it's it is love Mm -hmm. you know it is love that every woman longs for and so whatever vocation God is calling us to it's to do something great with our love Mm -hmm. and So whether it's in the vocation of marriage or the vocation of religious life, with each vocation, a woman is called to radically give her love. And so when fears come, and they will, whether it's a call to marriage or a call to religious life, to really, um, at least for me, my experience is when I was kind of struck with fears about my vocation, Mm -hmm. I would just take a step back and take a deep breath and immerse myself in his love, especially in Eucharistic adoration, Mm -hmm. um, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, going to Mass daily, um, frequenting the sacraments of reconciliation. All of these helps that the church gives is like spiritual armor or spiritual Mm -hmm. um, 
helps to allow us to live this Christian discipleship, mm-hmm. especially daily prayer. I would say mental prayer and prayer mm-hmm. in the morning. I, <laughs> it's so essential, especially if you're discerning a religious life. Mm-hmm. It's so essential to actually take time for quiet, meditative prayer mm-hmm. with scripture. Because that's when we can hear his voice. Like in the Old Testament, it's like the Lord's not in the earthquake or the fire or, you know, all the big wind. He's like in the still silent voice. And St. Faustina said, the Lord's voice is silence. And you're mm. like, wow, I wish I could, I wish he would speak a little louder. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, it's, he won't compete with us. Mm. He He's such a gentleman. He wants us to actually want to listen to him and Mm -hmm. so to actually take that daily prayer time in the silence first it'll be uncomfortable because we live in such a cacophony of noise Mm -hmm. and people are uncomfortable with silence but the more we um, accustom ourselves to that daily time of prayer it actually then you can't live without it it's like Mm -hmm. oh i actually need that silence i need that time so that i could hear his voice and recognize his voice and allow his love to cast out all of my fears Mm -hmm. Um, because he is perfect love and his perfect love will cast out the fear that tends to creep in, you know, when we're discerning a vocation, but also like to know that you're not alone in discerning. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to serve as the vocations director of our community for five years. And uh, one of the things I always tell young women who are discerning is really discernment. Yes. It begins within your own heart and Mm -hmm. you start testing it and, and bringing it to the Lord in prayer. Mm-hmm. But it really starts when you, um, or the next step of discernment is when you actually are in communication with a religious community that you feel drawn to, the vocations director. So the good news is discernment is a mutual thing. It's mm-hmm. not done in isolation. You're not alone in discernment. Um, so you know, daily prayer and frequenting the sacraments, you know, talking with the vocations director, having this mutual discernment, mm-hmm. and then um, getting a spiritual director, you know, the priest or someone who's uh, very advanced in the spiritual life to help you um, discern what movements, is it the movements of the good spirit or the, the enemy that's moving your heart so that you can navigate the waters of the spiritual life. And so yeah, those were three little tips, I would say, <laughs> for someone who's yeah, discerning a religious vocation. Yeah, and and I was also very curious too in terms of um, because we right now I would say as much as like we're in this like crisis of womanhood and whatnot but also just when it comes to the pro-life movement I feel like there is definitely a huge crisis around that mm-hmm. as well and just being able especially as Catholics to be able to stand up and defend something that we know is true like we know it's like church doctrine but also it's it's important because it's life and this is the way that we will continue on as a species scientifically, but also it's just important for myself as well. Like it can be very scary to stand up for something that is without a doubt, very controversial, especially in our society. So what advice do you have for people who, you know, may feel like that a little conviction um, to, to share it with, whether it's a friend or, a co-worker but is scared to out of fear of judgment or feeling ostracized Mm -hmm. well i'm going to answer your question kind of going in a different direction (laughs) one of the missions that we have in in our community is we serve those who have suffered after abortion Mm 
And hundreds of women and men um, have shared their own personal testimony with us. And um, we've journeyed with them, accompanied them on retreat. We have days of prayer and healing that we host Mm -hmm. and weekend retreats. Um, The suffering is incredible, but not without hope. Not without hope and not without the promise of God's mercy and peace. Mm. And so for those who are afraid to share the beauty and the sanctity of human life with other people, Mm -hmm. I would say take courage because those who've gone before them who have suffered after abortion and have been healed by God's mercy and healing and forgiveness will be the first to stand up and say, I regret my abortion. Mm. It would be the first to say, I wish I was told Mm-hmm. You know, I wish someone was there for me, that they could help me before I made that decision. Mm-hmm. Because every person that we've encountered who suffered after abortion would say that they regret it. And that they, if they could go back, they would have chosen differently if someone else was there to support them. Mm-hmm. At the same time, God's mercy endures forever. And so those who have suffered after abortion through the economy of grace and the miracle with which God uses everything, as they journey through, they recognize, wow, it's like, not that the abortion was right by any means, but Mm -hmm. through that, through the pain and the suffering that they had experienced, and then seeking mercy through confession and going Mm -hmm. through the healing process, they're closer to God than they Mm -hmm. ever have been. And so, yeah, I would say for those who desire to share the message of life, um, to really uh, to stand on solid ground, to, to know mm-hmm. that they stand on solid ground, that those who have gone before them through the suffering would be the first and their most eloquent witnesses on the sanctity of life because of the suffering they've experienced. Mm-hmm. So even just going to different websites for women who've shared their story, our own website, sistersoflife.org, there's um, a page there where people tell their testimonies after mm-hmm. abortion. In some of our magazines, the Imprint magazine, yep. um, we reprint their stories. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing, the gift of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to be afraid to share the beauty of life because there's a spiritual anointing when we take, we have the courage to speak the truth in love, always in love. Because mm-hmm. um, oftentimes people who are very hostile towards us on, on this issue. Behind the hostility, behind the anger, there's a wound. You know, the reality is one in every four, at least, inside the pew, outside the pew, Catholic, non-Catholic, has had an abortion or very close. They know someone who's very close who's had an abortion. So it touches deep because it's so close. And so not to take it personally when we're met with hostility, mm but to pray because our founder, Cardinal O'Connor, he would say this kind of demon, the demon of the contempt for the human person can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. And so as sisters of life, he knew that the demon of the contempt for the human person, you know, after all the activity, the social activity, the, um, the activism, after all of that, he was experiencing, gosh, it's not getting better. And so he brought it to prayer and he was praying with the gospel of Mark chapter nine, when Jesus's disciples were trying to cast out a demon. When he was praying with that, he realized then that Jesus cast out the demon from this boy and his apostles were like, how come we couldn't do that? Like we Mm -hmm. could do everything else, Mm -hmm. but how come we couldn't cast out this demon? And Jesus said, this kind of demon can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. And so that's when Cardinal O'Connor was like, wow, okay. 
there is a there's the demon of the contempt for the human person. Mm. So maybe now is the time to raise up a religious community that will pray and fast and sacrifice. So to know that when you're in we're in this battle, it's a cosmic battle. It's not a flesh and blood. And so to recognize that prayer and fasting is the are the greatest um, antidotes to the culture of death. Well, thank you. And I think just to to tie this all up, especially you know thinking about the mission that the Sisters of Life have and how you've seen that weave through your own life. And then, of course, like I mentioned at the beginning, just how fitting it is that we're in the presence of John Paul II here in this room and thinking about the feminine genius and just how you've seen your own personal feminine genius grow throughout your life um, as you've discerned into vocation and now you're living out your life as a sister. How have you seen that grow? Yeah, I would say as I get older, you know, <laughs> as I get older, little by little, the characteristics of the feminine genius, the characteristics of receptivity, of sensitivity, maternal love, and all of those things that characterize the feminine genius it's something that I pray for. It's something that I ask the Blessed Mother for, for her characteristics of a, of, of a motherly heart. I would say within my own self, it's hard to pinpoint. Just like anything, oftentimes we recognize the gifts and the talents that we have when other people point them out. Mm-hmm. You know? and so it's, um, so it is, it's, it's such a, a mystery but it's something that I long for. Mm-hmm. And um, whether I possess it or not, I just, whether I'm growing or not, I please God I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I please God that um, with our four hours of prayer and our, our longing to grow deeper in communion and confirmation with the heart of Christ, that he allows us to become more fully alive, more fully ourselves. That's what I would say is just mm-hmm. within my own self, that's a prayer of mine that I grow in that. But it is um, something so beautiful that that I see in my own sisters, that I see in our mother, I see in women that we serve, that their feminine hearts are are flourishing. And um, within my own self, I just, I don't worry too much about it. <laughs> I just try to be faithful to what God's asking me day to day, moment by moment, and let him do it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, sister. And thank you for just being a model of light and and life and living out the feminine genius. I will point it out for our listeners that you really are. Thank you. Well, it's a joy to be with you. God bless you. And God bless all the listeners too. And know that the sisters pray for you and for all the special needs and intentions of your heart and your family. Thank you again to Sister Antonia Anna Maria for sharing some of her time and story with me. It was a privilege to visit her as well as the other Sisters of Life while I was in Toronto. To learn more about the Sisters of Life and the many retreats that they hold throughout the year, you can find them at sistersoflife.org. I've left a link to their website in our show notes. 
Thank you, of course, for listening to The Feminine Genius. You can listen to and download the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can stay up to date with the show by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search up Fem Genius Pod. We'll talk to you next time, and God's blessings always. <laughs>